Clubhouse. Do you love Christmas? Do you love Christmas movies? Do you wish it was Christmas time year round? Well, do we have a podcast for you? Welcome to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. Whoa, 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 Clark. We're keeping this show family-friendly. Where's the Tylenol? Welcome to week 24 of the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. This week we're talking about Christmas with the Cranks, that 2004 family nutty comedy starring Tim Allen and Jamie Lee Curtis. Hey, Caroline, this movie has some behind-the-scenes pedigree that has become a little bit of a thing on our show. Do you, do you have a guess of what it might be? Oh, I so recognize Chris Columbus's thumbprint all over this. Thumbprint? Fingerprint? A fingerprint, whatever. yeah. Fingerprint, thumbprint? Yeah, <laughs> you are dead on right. This is our third Chris Columbus-related project we're doing here on the podcast. We did Gremlins just a few weeks ago, which he wrote. It was his first screenplay he ever had ever written. And obviously, we had done Home Alone way back when, it seems now, which was his big Christmas movie. Chris Columbus, kind of king of Christmas. Who knew? Well, and, and knowing him and understanding his movies better because we had studied him a little bit in these podcasts, I feel like I understood this movie better than critics did in terms of just like it didn't bother me, the hijinks, because that's Chris Columbus. If you don't like a Rube Goldberg situation, then you don't get Chris Columbus's movies. And a fair dash of darkness. I mean, Home Alone. Yeah, there's all the little parts. Yeah, people who refer to Home Alone as like a torture flick. I mean, that's a, m- a bit much, but it is it really leans into violence It for because violence in a shot in fruit, watching bad things happen to other people makes us laugh kind of way. Chris Columbus understands that. I think I've seen interviews when we were getting ready for Home Alone. I watch interviews with him where he said, you know, uh, people getting hit in the nuts with bats makes him laugh, you know? <laughs> like there, <that>. There's a <laughs> fair amount. I kept calling it America's Funniest Home Videos comedy. Like there's a fair amount of that in this. Yeah. And, you know, that the hijinksiness of it, the slipping and falling or something falling on your head, all those types of things. But again, if you know you're going into a Chris Columbus film, you should be prepared for those. Uh, one, watching him ice down the dra- the, yeah. the stoop made me laugh. But then watching the mailman, the carolers, but then Nora, the cat, but like his own wife gets caught in the trap. Like that's dark. Like if you think about what he's doing, it's pretty dark. And the fact that like his own wife gets caught in the trap, that's yes. very on brand for Chris Columbus. But then the dark humor, okay, he falls off the roof trying to put up the Frosty. Funny, right? Hijinks gets caught by the rope. He's hanging just a, just above the ground, hanging upside down. All right, that's, you know, slip and fall humor, very America's Funny Some Videos. But then, you know, Nora comes up to him and he says, it's a failed suicide attempt. I did it wrong. That's yeah. <laughs> super dark for, for a Christmas movie, but also kind of funny. But this is sort of like an adult version of Home Alone to me. I mean, yes. there's a lot of those types of things where the whole premise of this movie is a very adult premise. The idea of your kids growing up and not being at home anymore and generally wanting to not do the rituals of Christmas because they were going to make you sad. I really felt like that was reasonable. The premise was totally reasonable. Anyone who has adult kids or has lost anyone at Christmas time.
time, maybe doesn't want to be reminded of certain, you know, rituals of Christmas time. It completely makes sense to me. There is an undercurrent of heart here that in the same way that there was in Home Alone, like Home Alone has a heart in it, which I think is this X factor intangible that people don't necessarily point to. But I think it's something they feel when they watch it. And I think this movie also has a bit of that. There's empathy for Nora and for Luther. And Luther, I know, is depicted as a little bit of like an anti-villain or like an anti-hero in this movie. But I really identified <laughs> with so much of his point of view in this. And and yes, maybe it's because I'm getting older. I'm in my mid-40s now and I'm a bit of a curmudgeon. I love Christmas, though. I love Christmas lights, but I don't like mob mentality, conformity kind of thing that you see in this movie i bristle against that in the same way at luther who you get the idea has been going through this and been doing this all along for nora for blair for the community has just had enough and i really appreciated that a lot i felt like he did honestly appreciate christmas and love christmas when it was with blair and when they were having their family christmases i didn't think he was just doing it for show or for the neighborhood or for because of the pressure or any of those things i really didn't once that he saw his wife crying just over and over again about missing blair and just and just feeling like it wasn't going to be christmas without her i thought it was an honest attempt at at making her feel better to say you know what let's just not do this let's not put ourselves through this let's not let's not basically see an empty chair at our Christmas party. The John Grisham stamp of this being based on his novella, Skipping Christmas, was very much stamped on this because you also had that, like, you're on the run fugitive feel, Mm -hmm. especially from all the neighbors, Vic. Gotta keep hiding, hiding behind the curtains, ducking down, running around. Like, John Grisham writing a Christmas movie? How hilarious is that concept? Like, when you mix that for me, those genres don't seem to overlap. But when they do, you get the cranks here. There's actually a bit of humor in John Grisham novels, if, if anyone's read, read them, but it's all very dry and it and it has a tinge of darkness to it. It's all very sarcastic, dark, ironic humor. And you see that and you feel that here. There there was a tidbit I read in, the, in prepping for this. The novella hadn't even been published yet. And John Grisham sent it to one of the future producers of the movie and said, read this. He, un- the producer, and I'm forgetting his name, read it and said, I understand why he wanted me to read this it jumped off the page to me as having the potential to be a christmas movie and grisham even understood that you know knowing while writing it that's why he wanted it read they secured the rights basically to the movie before i think the novella was even published back in like 2000 and or 2001 because this was published in 2001 the movie comes out in 2004 yeah between between grisham's source material and then chris columbus's sense of humor you feel all of that coming through and and if you have a sense of that, you're, you're absolutely right. You should kind of be prepared for what you're coming into here. <laughs> I think so. Now, here's the question I have for you. Because you're, you're familiar with both Grisham and Columbus, did you feel like this was two distinct movies kind of meshed together? Because we definitely have the side of Grisham. We have that fugitive, you know, skipping Christmas, the neighborhood haunting you kind of feel. And then we have the... Chris Columbus, you know, antics side of it. Was it two separate movies that they kind of wove? Could you see that? Could you distinctly point and say, that was from Grisham, that was from Columbus, that was from Grisham, that was from Columbus? Uh, I mean, 
mean, yeah, I guess if I sat down to parse it like that, I could. I I didn't feel that when I was watching it. And I don't I don't mean to say it's negative. I just mean to say when you have two distinct personalities and styles that come together, sometimes they mix and sometimes they like weave. And this one, I feel like they stayed true to their own styles and then they wove together. At 97 minutes, I think this movie comes in. I felt like they added things into this that they needed to to stretch the time to make it a little bit longer. It, okay. it, it, it felt like this movie naturally should have been more like 80 minutes or or 90 okay. tops. Um, like like the burglar, the cat burglar at the end. There's no reason <laughs> for that plot at, at all. Mike, Marie, that is so Columbus. It's not even funny, though. Yeah, right, but it gets introduced so late in the movie i guess is the is the issue for it it's just so columbus though there had to be a little boy having to get into a mess with a burglar right very chris columbus hijinxy but also what is that in this movie like blair and enrique like you know know. oh my god when the police officer holds up the sign and it's spelled out n period r-e-e-k-y at the at the airport it was like Blair and Enrique <laughs> I laughed for like 10 minutes I must have just been in a great movie mood when I saw this movie I, and I think this is the difference between a critics a critic reviewed movie versus an audience reviewed movie oh goodness yes this is the second lowest reviewed ranked Christmas movie on Rotten Tomatoes yeah yeah uh, but it has a B score for audience scoring on cinema score there's a disconnect between critical watching and families watching it and peep and audiences watching it which often happens there's a lot of popular fare that critics turn up their nose to and i totally see that this made me feel like it was total opposite day to the 1951 christmas carol we just did where i think cinematically and critically probably gets a lot of acclaim and definitely does but from a viewer standpoint, a family standpoint, I'm like, well, but I just don't think this would be very fun at Christmas time. This version of it. Well, this one, is it silly? Is it slapsticky? Is it all those? Absolutely. You know, and I get it that critics are like, boo, this is too, you know, too predictable or too obvious or too whatever. But man, it's just a fun movie. I have a couple questions about this movie that when I was well, watching good. it. good. Thank goodness we're podcasting about it. When I was watching it, I was thinking of you because you are a pillar of your family's activities and mm. because you are a community person. I know you and Paul and the kids put up like blow ups on your lawn at Christmas time. And I, I was sitting there wondering, do you identify with luther nora as being the center or being one of the centers around which family or friends or even a community block kind of thing revolves because i was thinking of the scene where nora announces to uh felicity huffman and uh, caroline ray in the restaurant uh mm-hmm. i think that woman's name is mary by the way i think that's the name of felicity huffman's according to closed captioning sure yeah yes, I think it is you know they have like a total mental breakdown that they're at the idea of them skipping christmas and not hosting their new year their christmas eve party and i think to myself like is that a role you play in your family and what oh, yeah would, what would be the reaction if you did this if you and paul said you know we're going on a caribbean cruise we're not going to be here for christmas would there be an equal uproar in your family oh, yes yes absolutely it's not my generation that is the pillar it's my parents they throw the 50 60 person christmas eve party 
for everyone. On we have had two years where we had to cancel one for well COVID year, and then and then a family illness year. And both of those two times, the uproar was insane because just like Mary was saying in that little scene, well, what are we supposed to do? That's all anyone had to say was, well, what are we supposed to do? But we've always gone to your house. Like, what are we supposed to do for Christmas Eve? And also that element of like how much money is spent at Christmas in order to throw those parties and give those gifts and do all those things. $6,132. I, I think that's a, honestly, that's a drop in the bucket. A drop in the bucket to how much it would cost, what I know to, to be costing for things like all the Christmas party. Even down to that holiday ham, ours happens to be fish that has gotten at Luby's that has to be gotten. Well, guess what? About 18 months ago during COVID, Luby's went in for bankruptcy and it was the biggest freak out about where are we going to get the fish for Christmas Eve? I mean, it was the exact same scenario. You have to call ahead. There's people waiting in line. It's a big old deal. I think that's why I like this movie so much. There's probably a lot of people who maybe don't relate to these moments, but for me, Oh my God, Christmas Eve dinner, all the little things that you do, all the like volunteering at the hospital, the volunteering she that Nora does at the soup kitchen and all those little moments and the like absolute outrage if you don't participate. I got yelled at for not decorating enough this year. <laughs> so I mean, like it's for real. I lived on a block called Candy Cane Lane. Everybody had the same candy canes. They were all up in our attic, and you leave them when you when you sell the house. You leave the candy canes in the attic. That's frosty. Everybody has to set, has to put out your candy canes in the yard. And when they switched to archways, guess what? Walt down the street made everyone's archways. You had to pay your money, and everyone had to go get the archway to put at the end of your walk. It is exactly Luther and Nora, and this is 150% the response I would have gotten. I would have had to be hiding under the couch. <laughs> I would sell my house before doing any of that nonsense. We do it for the kids. And it was so cute. We had so many people. People would do like a hayride down our street to see all the decorations. So cute. But when my kids got older or I just didn't want to do this anymore, I was like, oh, my God, the pressure to continue this. There are steps that Luther takes in this movie that I don't endorse and I don't agree with. Don't be the guy who writes a memo and publishes it at uh, at your office about your withdrawing from Christmas. Just don't partake. Well, that's not the way it works because people start giving you presents and then you feel obligated to reciprocate. And so you get sucked in. I think it was it was silly how he did it. It reminded me so much, though, of and you taught me this about uh, this is not an airport. You don't need to announce your departure. It, it reminded me a lot of that. Uh, the, the publishing of the memo. Also, by the way, when the PBA comes around, when the officers come around, that's when you 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 have to stand on principle. I'm all for that. But you, you've already cut aside a little bit for donations. Listen, you want to give yeah. them cops money. <laughs> Buy their Playgirl calendar. And, and yeah. you know, yeah, you have to have a little sense, Luther. Yeah, that I mean, that was his fatal flaw, obviously, as this character is when he went so far. But I understood. Okay, let's let's talk about the casting for just a minute, because it really matters to me. So uh, so starting with Tim Allen as Luther Crank, for me and for you, we grew up with Tim Allen. We grew up with him through like, you know, tool time, home <laughs> improvement, exactly all that stuff. And we also 
also went through his scandals, which yes. were plentiful. He was also oversaturated at this point in the theaters. He had done like Santa Claus. He had done a bunch of these different movies. Two, two of the three Santa Claus's mo- Santa Claus movies had come out by this point in 2004. He he's a Christmas person. He is associated with Christmas movies, all of them wildly successful. I mean, this movie, you know, makes 96.6 million dollars at the box office on a 60 million dollar budget. Even this movie was a hit, take that critics. Um and mm. the and the Santa Claus films maybe diminishing returns, but were wildly popular. But yeah, he politically has a lot of views that have made him a little bit of a pariah. Plus he has personal scandals and lots of demons in his past. And, and his not-too-distant past uh, that have come up to rear him. He's got an authenticity problem, I think. He has got yeah. a... He's got a sincerity problem, I think, which, to me, were the weakest points of this movie. And at the time, when the movie came out, those things were, like, glaring. Like, a lot of people were having a problem with his hypocrisy of playing different roles on TV or in movies and then how he was, like, in his personal life. There was just a lot going on that I think also contributed to it being negatively accepted by critics. Not by moviegoers, but by critics. You know, there are parts of this movie, uh, like at the end, when he has his his Christmas Carol moment, right? Mm-hmm. I thought they did a good job of of actually layering in Christmas Carol in this. I think you could have counted this one as another Christmas Carol version. They call him Scrooge at different points. They do there, and there are themes of the you know the I will you know I will not say Bah Humbug, and then someone says the next day at work, well you know says Bah Humbug to him. Mm-hmm. There there are elements of the Christmas Carol here, but there's obviously the the dressing down that Nora gives him at the end about look what these people did in order to make Christmas for your daughter. I thought that would change you. Largely, I appreciate and understand where he's coming from, and I don't understand why they can't do both. But that being aside, I'll buy into the the transformation moment when he goes across the street and he he kind of makes peace with Walt and Bev. And there are larger, more important things in life than neighbor squabbles about lights and decorations. And, and I and I and I get all that. And I think Walt and Bev do a great job. Um, Walt is M Emmett Walsh, who's like. A classic, hey, it's that guy. He's been yeah, in everything, I feel like. he's such a grandpa like. in everything. Such a grandpa. It's so funny him calling Tim Allen old man throughout the movie. <laughs> well, and also the the um, character of Bev plays Mia in Gilmore Girls, who plays a very motherly figure in that in the series and, and is beloved in the series. So, again, she brought like all this love for me now. Now, this wouldn't have happened when this movie came out, but now she has, you know, this this great road with a lot of Gilmore Girls watchers. So when Tim Allen goes across the street and, you know, all right, he asks about Bev. I love that. But then he hands them the ham. The You know, the response <laughs> is she doesn't eat much meat. And what was his deal? He couldn't eat it either. Yeah, basically, they weren't going to well, have basically it. Basically, they couldn't do anything with it. And he's like, well, take it. It's a, it's a gift. As if that makes it okay. Uh, there, I, I have an issue with that. But then he goes across. He starts to walk across the street. He stops. He turns. See, and I think this is a Christmas Carol moment. He's looking at Christmas present with Blair and boyfriend Enrique and his family and Christmas future, where he's where it's the elderly couple 
you know, sitting at the table by themselves. And he's going back and forth between present and future. And that's when he's having his moment of like, I need to change. I need to do better. Agree with all of that. But then he goes across the street and then it forces the tickets upon them. You know, they're like, well, we've got so-and-so maybe coming across the street. Uh, coming I think Benny's our- their kiddo. Benny is their kiddo, yes. And he's coming and my doctor doesn't want me traveling. I'm, I'm a terminally ill cancer patient. And it's tomorrow and our names are on tickets. And he says something. He says something. Essentially, he says, this is a sincere, heartfelt present. <laughs> that doesn't make it so. And and that's not Luther. That's Tim Allen. That's my, my issue with that scene is the Tim Allen sincerity, authenticity problem. He's not a good enough actor to sell that moment to me. Ooh. Honestly, the only sincere moment of that scene is when he says that he'll take the cat. That was the only really sincere, like, selfless moment to me in that scene. I think in a better actor who doesn't come off as being so full of crap sells that better. Who would you recast him with? I could I could think of a couple of people, I think. Hand me with TV a couple dad. ideas. Yeah, there's some TV dads. Like a John Goodman, maybe? <laughs> you know, or... I was actually... I was going more towards... Um, Oh God! Why am I Brian um, Cranston? I yeah, think Brian Cranston. Yeah, I was going to say Walter White is what I kept thinking. Brian Cranston could have killed this role, killed yes. it, right? Because of either Malcolm in the Middle, which he would have been able to play with Spike, uh, Eric Persullivan, yeah. who's who which is, is in Malcolm in the Middle, Dewey. Brian Cranston as Malcolm in, in the Middle, Dad, or Brian Cranston as Breaking Bad, Walter White. I, either one of those characters, I think, well, could have sold us. Well, he has to play us. a little bit of both in this one. He has to be a little bit of, you know, we got to do what we got to do, Walter White side. But then he has to be Hal from Malcolm in the Middle at some point where he's just a soft, soft, soft heart. Okay, so let's get into Nora because I thought Jamie Lee Curtis, okay, for people who don't have any background with Jamie Lee Curtis, the fact that she has such a history with horror movies really made me so happy to see her in this role because the entire portion of that John Grisham feeling like a fugitive from the neighbors. Every jump scare worked perfectly for me because it was Jamie Lee Curtis. If it was anyone else, I would have been like cheesy. But because she has that movie scream... I mean, God, I've watched her as the babysitter in so many different horror movies where she's sitting on the chair and someone comes to the window move. I mean, I was like, yes, this is such a funny, nostalgic thing for adults watching this. Great great use of her, right? Hiding behind the curtains, having to run, being a prisoner in her own home. so scared, being so scared. Beyond that, though, I think she does a great job. She sells the physical comedy when she races the old woman for the last ham and then then lands in the cart and takes a header into the cookie display. and she realizes she is going to have to put together Christmas and she's like, where's my vest? I need my vest. I love that. The I, that, that was, talk about authentic, authentic sweet. moments. Yes. A mom in her position who, who is wearing, starts the movie wearing a Christmas vest. Remember, remember she starts yes. unbuttoning the vest oh, when yes. she thinks they're going to get Hanky like, Panky button, on. button back up. You know, like the idea that her vest is her armor for Christmas and it's, it's yeah, it's her, it's her superhero costume. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. I, the, she sells in a way Tim Allen fails to. See, I think I think this script does a lot of the heavy lifting. They just have to show up a lot for mm-hmm. the script to work in a in an amusing way where you empathize with them and sympathize with them, but also you understand and appreciate the whole community coming together. Though there are moments where the script says, "All right, well, you guys actually have to earn your paycheck a little bit," and I think Tim Allen fails, and I think Jamie Lee Curtis rises to the moment. 
I think that Tim Allen also has this edge to him that can come out. That if anyone has watched his stand up comedy, he is a lot, he's a little like um, Bob Saget, where he plays this really nice dad on TV. But if you watch his stand up, he is crass and he is so edgy and it's so over the top. Tim Allen is much the same way. So the thing is that some of that shines through. So every once in a while when he says something, it's with a little too much edge. It's a little too... Paprika on the sandwich. Honestly, he seems angry. Like an anger level that you're not ready for. That I'm like, okay, that's Tim Allen coming out. And he's, he's like out of the Luther mask, you know? Here's the thing. I never liked Home Improvement. Tim Allen, his characters and the man define the worst parts of toxic masculinity to me. Everything about him is said with an angry sneer and leer. Even in his softest moments, there's still a there's still an element of terseness under it. And mm-hmm. so these moments that you're talking about, it, it, you know, where he's even being sweet, there's a leer behind it. He's like, I'm saying this, but I also may be Jack the Ripper. Yeah, he's he's a little too much. <laughs> There's an element to everything about him. And I think I think everything he does embodies this idea of toxic masculinity. Everything about home improvement for sure. I, I you know, I didn't watch uh what's the Fox show that's actually having its last season now? Oh, uh, Last Man Standing. I, I never watched that because after after uh, going through the PTSD of having lived through home improvement, because you <laughs> everyone watched it. I just didn't enjoy it. You know, for those of you guys who are following us over with uh, Kevin Ken F himself a podcast, they had a panel of this and they talked about Jill Taylor for a long time over at ATX because Jill Taylor is a lot of who they had in mind when thinking about Allison, just what she had to put up with, with the way that Tim would behave on that show. For me, the only other character that... I think warrants a discussion is is Dan Aykroyd, one being cast in this movie, and two, that character of Vic Frohmeyer, <laughs> uh, which sounds like it, it reminds me of Abe Froman from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, yes. the name, which is another Chicago name, because I think this is an Illinois, this, this Riverside is an Illinois uh, set location. Like, again, Chris Columbus loves that Chicago, <laughs> that Chicago feel, so... I love Dan Aykroyd in this. I thought that he played it perfectly. My most favorite scene was when he was like making the announcements when they had all gathered around the ambulance. I knew you'd love that scene. He's like, Blair is coming home. He's bringing a boyfriend. And like the crowd just kept like, oh, oh, oh. And he's like, go get food, people. Get get yourself cleaned up and be back here. I love that whole scene. I thought it was so funny. For me, it was when he's getting the information on the meal and she says, smoke trout. And he goes, smoke trout. Mm." <laughs> like just turning up his nose to smoke trout was very or funny. Or even just the when he's like standing outside and he's like, "Give us the frosty, we'll put him up. You don't have to do like the whole thing." He was a great add to this movie. I, I think that he was the key to understanding the neighborhood and making sure that there was an actual uh, mouthpiece, one mouthpiece for the neighborhood was so important. He's the avatar for the neighborhood and 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 the double edged sword that that embodies. Right, someone he, the there's the scene where the carolers get going and they they begin the marathon caroling and then he eventually joins in and they're they're yes. zoomed on his face he's turning like beet red because they're singing faster and faster and faster and faster 
but he i mean he is he the the close up on his face though he looks like he's about to stroke he is bop bop bumming <laughs> with such intensity as if as if using the force to will these people to get into the christmas spirit um it, so it's a double edged sword of overly involved you know on their lawns looking in their windows give us the frosty you know almost like uh, like we were trying to smoke out um, uh, noriega from the embassy uh, but at the same time then is able to rally the neighborhood to come together not for luther but for blair who watched our kids grow up who we watched there, she was their babysitter. She was our babysitter. We watched her become a young woman. We, you know, who comes home from college and visits us and makes our world brighter. The idea that the neighborhood will rally around for her, I liked, and that's a very good Christmas theme. Yeah, I thought so too. Well, let's get into. Are you ready to get into? Is this a Christmas movie? Uh, for sure. I'm going to go with yes. This is absolutely a Christmas movie. Within our podcast rules that we have made up, there's Christmas music. There's Christmas themes like the goodwill towards other people and and, and the good and the bad. They actually talk about depression at the holidays. There's a moment where they stop and they actually talk about it for a moment. They show the different sides of like, well, but what happens if you if you don't have your loved ones around you? And how do you feel about that? And do you have to? I also saw the Gremlins line in this of like, no. No one cares if you don't celebrate 4th of July or President's Day or whatever. But if you don't celebrate Christmas, you're a bad person. Here it is, like in an entire 90-minute film is that entire concept. I thought all of those parts were great. And then I 100% related to all of the other portions, all the money that is spent at Christmas, how bad moms was that, to talk about how it all falls on the mom's shoulders and Nora was getting the brunt of the abuse from everybody because moms are the ones that make Christmas happen. Could it be said at a different time of year? No. This is the only time of year that Christmas, that that you could have this amount of feelings or that the neighbors are so involved in your life. Well, it's, right? it's specifically about the celebration of Christmas and the things and the things that we do to ourselves and the reasons why we do the things to ourselves and put ourselves through that meat grinder yeah it, it could only happen at season because it's about it only happened at christmas time because it's about celebrating christmas you know it's not it's not an incidental story taking place over christmas time it is or specific. just at winter or, or something like that you know i mean like all these things matter and the traditions of christmas truly matter so yeah uh, i mean i'm going with yeah 100 percent a christmas movie so we got that part down same for me 100 percent a christmas movie did talking about the the good and the bad of celebrating christmas they, it's important to have traditions it's important to keep them though in perspective and it's important i think to stop every now and then and ask yourself why are we doing the things we do there's nothing i wouldn't do for my kid and if if he was going to be in a jungle and then all of a sudden curveballed me and said he was coming home you know what i would go all out and try and put together christmas at on the last in the last minute for him also if that's what he was expecting because that's a valid reason to put yourself through that insanity to me and they even added that extra layer where maybe you could have thought they could have said something to blair but when she added in that layer of this boyfriend who's now basically fiance this is the first time he's ever seen christmas and so i really want him to see our full family christmas now you're layering that like in-law level in this making a good first impression and all this kind of stuff that that adds all this extra pressure like i think if it was just blair they could have said oh gosh we had bought this thing I'll, you know they could have explained something i 
disliked that Nora said, don't ever tell Blair about the cruise. I thought that that was a complete no, they didn't need to do that. I, I think it was completely fair that they just, that they were going to try to do something else for Christmas. And it seemed like Blair would have understood. I honestly, I that, that was one of my issues. Also, I didn't understand why they still couldn't go on the cruise the next day. For It seems that the crank Christmas was really about the Christmas Eve party. And that was the thing. And, and I, 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 yeah, I agree with you. The whole Blair is a grown woman at this point. She's bringing home a fiance. Well, she's 23. She wasn't like 18 either. Yeah. Mom and dad are human beings who have lives. And you know what? We were going to go on a cruise, but we we put it together for you for Christmas. I think that's totally valid and worth you know, worth knowing, like there, there comes a point where you have to stop treating your kids like kids. And this idea that parents don't have lives outside of their kids. We do this for you and we love it and it makes us happy. And we celebrate Christmas to this extent for you because we love to see the happiness it brings you. But also, you know, mom and dad want to go get a tan and we want to go have some fun in the sun too. What if Luther had surprised Nora with the cruise Christmas morning and that was the big gift to her would Blair have been like this is outrageous I'm completely angry that you're taking mom on a cruise as a Christmas present like I think no if it was you know framed up like that I don't think it would have been I understand that she supposedly is only home for a short period of time she's home for 10 days so they don't feel like they should leave and all that stuff I I get it I get how they set it up but the idea of don't ever tell Blair like Blair will be so mad at us that whole thing was like Man, don't do that. Don't make Blair seem like a psycho. Well, yeah. Well, I think the effect is it makes Nora seem like a a little bit of a psycho. My issue with the Nora character was how subservient she remained to her daughter without having any indication that that's actually who Blair was. Not that I would have made it okay, but Blair wasn't like, I will burn this place to the ground (laughs) if Christmas Eve isn't there kind of thing. You know, it was a kid who was trying to surprise their own parents, her parents, you know, in this thing. And and, and like you said, show Enrique this orphan, Peruvian orphan who has never experienced (laughs) Christmas kind of thing. Um, But yeah, that that was definitely a dislike for me. I wanted to go back to the music for a second because the music was good. And, you know, I like how this movie opened right away. This movie opens with the two of them sitting in bed waiting for the alarm to go off and not sleeping. You understand right out of the gate. One, I, I was impressed at that kind of opening because it was not an obvious sitcom movie. It wasn't obvious what kind of movie we were going to get at that point. Cause that's a pretty like serious moment, uh, how it opens. But then the, the movie, the music that plays is Christmassy, but it's not like, uh, it's not like overly saccharine music. It's actually kind of like emo-ish like music. Uh, little Steven, Steven Van Zant, the guitarist for Bruce Springsteen, he was actually the music supervisor for this movie. When you know that and then you look at the soundtrack or you play the soundtrack, it's actually, there are some standards on here, but a lot of the tracks are done with fresh takes or fresh covers that you don't really hear in a lot of other Christmas movies. So, so it did was, you like or not? I, like? I did, I did. I'm sorry. This was all the way of saying I liked it. It was, I felt like using a lot of standards but in a fresh way so i appreciate the music and i i like that we got to see little steven so maybe it's uh, like a little twist on celebrating christmas oh i like it i like it there were a lot of beats in this movie that i like though that were christmasy to me and dealing with the idea of christmas you mentioned talking about depression which is something that doesn't get talked about enough in any christmas movie whether it's a serious or a comedy but when he is getting splashed 
when when Nora keeps kind of sending guilting him out to to the market to get the chocolate and the other stuff and he keeps getting splashed and he's getting drenched in the rain and then he just finally stops after the umbrella guy who turns out to be Marty the umbrella santa he's yelling at him about why he doesn't need an umbrella and then the whole awning falls on him and he gets even more drenched than he was and then he stares at the carnival cruise line advertisement caroline i've had that moment so many times <laughs> the, I, the just the not necessarily about christmas but just the idea of why am i doing this why on god's earth am i putting myself through this and I found that a really identifiable moment where, where, and you just stop and you think to yourself, why am I putting myself through this? Why aren't I, why aren't I on a cruise right now? Lord knows I need to be on a cruise uh, yeah. as, as a big cruiser. Yeah, Nora, we're going on a cruise. We need to get out of Dodge. Yeah, and P.S. Nora is sobbing in the car. Yeah. She's sobbing about how this Christmas is going to be terrible. I didn't take it like he was being, you know, like irrational about about not wanting to do Christmas. I really took it like he was trying to solve a problem here. And also he wasn't feeling the Christmas spirit with Blair gone. Why would you stay in the house that you're otherwise going to mourn in? Get a change of scenery. I don't think he wanted to go on a cruise just for him. I don't think he was being selfish that way. I think he was really trying to solve both of their blues because you said it earlier on, and I agree with you. I think he genuinely enjoyed Christmas when Blair was there, but now they're empty nesters. And that's a whole thing that you don't really appreciate until you experience it. So my own kids are 18, 18, 17, and we live in a very young family town. And there is a real sense of like, once you're out of high school and stuff as adults and as like an older family now it's like what are you doing here this town isn't for you anymore because everything is directed at elementary school students or or you know what's the middle school carnival gonna be or like it's all wrapped up in that and so there's some sense like with this whole street where it's like once you're at the point of not really doing that anymore, I mean, look, Bev and Walt were sitting alone because, yes, they did do the Christmas stuff. And I know it was going to be Bev's last Christmas. They set that up nicely. But there was some sense of like participating in what everyone was doing. Like, how come they weren't being ridiculed for not being at the Christmas party? Well, because they had their reasons. It was reasonable for them to not want to go to the Christmas party. Right. And so it was like there's this sort of like negative look on aging out of some of these things that isn't really very fair because because you didn't purposely age out, you know? The expectation is, you know, you should probably move from this neighborhood. If you're no, yeah. if you're no longer willing <laughs> to participate in our shenanigans, you should move. Yeah, and we do it for the little kids. So if you don't have little kids, like, what exactly are you doing here anymore? One thing I liked, and it was surprising in a movie like this, because you come in with your own kind of preconceived notions of what this movie is going to be. But there was a complexity to all of the characters that I liked because no one was actually truly bad. Even Spike, who is a impish kid, a real rapscallion, <laughs> he right. comes through for Luther. Not only yeah. does he help him get the Christmas tree across the street, but he comes and knocks on the cop's door and says he's telling the truth. Like, he really did have permission to go get the tree. Spike didn't need to do that, but he wasn't all bad. Vic, not all bad. Luther, not all bad. Nora, not all bad. Walt, not all bad. Or Ned calling the cops, right? Ned calling the cops. And then he's also the one waiting, like, on the roof trying to put up Frosty. 
Like, yeah, I'm with you 100%. Like, these characters I thought were actually well-rounded and very normal people who you probably know in your life. I, that was it. This movie was very relatable. Anyone who has lived through a Christmas community of some sort, I think, can identify with at least some of the experiences and themes of this movie. Whether you are the Vic or you are a Nora or you are a Luther, I think everyone can experience or identify with some aspects of this movie. Can I go back to one thing I didn't like? And because I forgot to say this one. Yes, we please. Uh, I didn't like how Nora constantly, as soon as she got shaky on the plan, threw it back in Luther's face. The first time it happened, fine. It was kind of funny. The second time, but it happened, you know, she says to him at one point, easy for you to say you're at work, right? When they're like on her lawn calling for Frosty. Like, I like that. And I actually thought that was a really fair call out of hers. It's easy for you to say, don't give in to their Frosty demands because you're safe at work. I'm here in the house being, you know, surrounded by these protesters. But even at like towards the end of the movie, he says something and she's like, it was your stupid idea all along kind of thing. Yeah. It was for the two of them. And yeah, she was on like board. She got on board with it until she got called, until she had the spotlight put on her by the neighborhood. I wish she had some of the resolve that Luther had, because while I think he stood on his principles too much, I appreciated that the movie didn't have him cave. He remained righteous in his beliefs all the way through. I did appreciate that because I think he was right, or at least I think it was justifiable, his point of view. I think the principle of you should be able to celebrate however you want to celebrate is a fair, and they didn't actually beat you over the head with that concept, It, but it was there. Like he said it a couple of different times. Like, it's actually my personal choice how I celebrate Christmas. Like he only said like one time to Vic, you know? Now. Right, which she would agree with when she was with him, but then as soon as as soon as confronted by anyone else, either Blair on the phone or any of the neighbors, would then turn around to him and be like, "This was a stupid idea." Like, have a little bit of conviction, Nora. I wish she had a little bit more of a spine, I guess, uh, yeah. and, and more of a unified front. I would have liked to see, but again, maybe that's asking too much from this family comedy Christmas movie. It's asking too much from the mom who wears the Christmas zip up sweater. Probably, probably. Last question I think I have for you on is this a good Christmas movie? Because I think we both agree it is. Is is this a family movie? Is this a movie you could watch with the family at Christmas okay, time? Okay, so this was one of my biggest yays, actually, because I think that this movie has a lot of the same vibe of Christmas Vacation. There's a lot of stuff in it, hijinks, family, trying to do stuff that you, you kind of don't want to do. You're trying to stick with the rituals, but it's, it's kind of rough, right? However, it had a, an amazing lack of sex violence and swearing. This is something I could put on with any age person in the room and there wasn't any of that. Yeah, no, I'd say the tanning salon was the most risque but part of the movie. Still, it was all played for laughs. It was it all played for laughs and uncomfortable I'm nature. going back to Clark in, you know, buying the underwear, her lifting up her skirt and all that. Like, the, that's all so uncomfortable to watch with older family members. Like, I don't want to watch those scenes. And they never swear. Like, there's never, like, a huge screaming fight either you know like like there's moments that the, at the end of the scolding and stuff but i really felt like this whole thing stayed in a range where you could show it with anyone and little kids would laugh at the 
at the water splash jokes and older people would would relate to the you know why do we have to go through all the shenanigans of christmas every year i 100 percent agree and you know there are some really unexpected sweet moments in here too uh going back to the my idea that there was no really bad person everyone here had some gray to them i love the fact that rufus agrees to let him borrow the tree which is not something we talked about and you know laughing at luther's predicament he still hands over the key you know and it says you could do that i don't know why i'm letting you do this but you can go do that that's some like real goodwill towards men stuff that like i'd like my kids to see or my kid uh to to see that kind of that's how that's how people should help each other the whole neighborhood getting together. I think when you were talking about the portion of what could be cut, I appreciated that they did like the montage. That's also a Chris Columbus montage mm-hmm. getting stuff ready. They spent way too much time with people just manipulating that pine cone like vine or whatever. The person just kept holding it up. Sometimes it was Tim Allen. Sometimes it was Dan Aykroyd. And they would just keep picking it up over and over and over again. Like, what do I do with this? Uh, yeah, that seemed to be a little bit like a bit of like. I think there was imp- going on to that they just put all together I have this idea of this this decoration exists in everyone's house in some form and no one knows what to do with it i think that was the 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 bit of that i get it it just went on a little too long <laughs> there are for sure scenes in this that are making them stretch this movie out to the 97 minutes or which mm-hmm. you know i i get that it has to you know in order for it to qualify for awards and to be deemed a full-length feature film it has to be a certain length but uh yeah they were definitely padding uh here at some time what do you think? You want to get to some fast facts before we get to yeah. our Jingle Bell ratings? Totally ready. So we, we talked about the tanning salon scene. It's obviously predictable that they're going to get caught in their skivvies in the mall, right? That 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 was really funny, the way that they did set it up like that, where like the lobby was just like, you know, just right, right there. The way that it was in the mall, like that was really smart. But of course, it's the it's the priest, Father Zabriskie, who, who <laughs> finds them. And then Lear's kind of thing, in, in like a funny way, not like a gross way but obviously you know you see jamie lee there and i gotta admit she was looking pretty good it would be weird for him not to look at her the again the schadenfreude of watching that is amusing and i, I think that's where the humor comes from but my fast fact is tom poston is playing uh fathers of brisky in this movie this was actually his final film that he appeared in he actually passed away in 2007 and he had been a regular on home improvement so there's that tim allen connection well and to piggyback on that the swimsuits that the models are wearing in the advertisement for the cruise the cranks are wearing the same ones when they're in the tanning salon so i thought that was super funny when they went scouting for location you know chris columbus always likes to shoot on location in chicago it's a thing that we learned you know uncle buck home uh, home alone all those kinds of movies they actually couldn't find a good location to film in so they built actually this entire street set it ended up being 700 feet long and it included 16 houses wow the core five houses on the street the ones that we see the most uh, most often actually had full ground floors that were fully dressed and you can actually look into the set it was built in the parking lot of an abandoned boeing parking lot and for a long time it was the longest set that existed anywhere their idea was that after this they would recoup money by leasing it out to other movies uh and other production companies that needed to film there that didn't really pan out and it was actually raised down to the ground to make room for a mall i think in 2012 or 2014 that's crazy yeah a lot a lot of work that has just gone and been disapparated <laughs> i just have to say 
I didn't bring this up before, but Enrique and Marty, the umbrella sale salesman, together with their little makeshift yes. band singing the Peruvian Christmas songs cute. at the end, hysterical and extremely heartwarming. The accordion, the pan flute, uh, Cheech Marin teaching his partner how to play guitar, like that's a G chord. All of that made me laugh, and it shouldn't have. But I'm a total sucker for all those kinds of moments in movies, and uh, I found it extremely heartwarming. <laughs> there's a lot of little continuity stuff that you can catch in this one if just for fun if you want to watch like and i i caught this one because i was like where is her injury the cut on nora's forehead that she gets when she like smacks it in the tanning bed the position of it changes and it disappears between shots sometimes and i totally saw that as it was happening when, when i was watching it i was like where's her injury and then all of a sudden it goes back to her and then you can see the cut and it was like where was it in the first place super funny because i couldn't understand where she was bleeding from <laughs> that's very funny that whole scene the guy walking in like the weird guy walking in to her in the tanning but bed you know and who that weird guy was wasn't it wasn't he from um oh my god wasn't he from happy days was he oh i, I don't know i'd have to go back and look to god i'm gonna i'll go look while we're, while you're giving the next fast facts so julie gonzalo who plays the daughter in this movie she plays blair in this movie in freaky friday which also starred jamie lee curtis gonzalo played the nemesis of jamie lee's daughter in that movie There was some familiar casting going on in this movie. Yep. So David L. Lander was the tanning bed intruder, best known for, I said happy days but he was in laverne and shirley he was um i can't remember if he's lenny or squiggy i have to look oh he would be squiggy i think lenny was michael lenny was michael mckean there you go so it was him as soon as he came in i was like oh god that's hilarious that is very funny there was a lot of different little cameos i know you mentioned cheech marin he was one and we had tom post and he was one well i mean felicity huffman and caroline ray were in this movie by the way i checked their names felicity huffman felicity huffman's name was mary in this Caroline Ray, her name was Candy. So you have a Christmas Aww. movie featuring a Candy and a Mary, which is <laughs> pretty funny. funny. Oh, Jake Busey, uh, Gary Busey's yes. uh, son. So Gary Busey's son uh, was uh, yeah. was Officer Tree Cheech Marin's uh, partner. Austin Pendleton, though, played Umbrella Santa. I feel like he's another classic, like, hey, it's that guy. He was Max in the Muppet movie. He was in My Cousin Vinny. He was in Short Circuit. He was Gurgle in Finding Nemo. The guy has 149 different acting roles on his IMDb. He's been in everything. But also kind of funny that you might not be able to name all those roles right away, which makes it perfect when no one knows who he is, but they all are like, yeah, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah, you should come. And everyone's like, who is that? One of the best moments is Jamie Lee in the liquor store store when after they had this whole conversation he walks away she's like i have no idea who you were she's like whatever i gotta go get my box of uh, pinot that was super super funny uh, another fast fact ali sheedy considered for the role of nora crank i don't think ali would have done a good as good a job as jamie lee no because you gotta go with that jamie lee horror background that's like what makes it for me all of her screaming makes it so funny for me well another continuity thing uh the front of the crank's house changes at one point in the movie that bay window is on the left side and the doorknob is on the right side and then another scene the bay window is on the right side of the house and the doorknob's on the left side it's like it's super whack that whole set makes me smile and laugh that it's like oh my god what is this and you know what mike here's the thing i must have just been in a great mood when i saw this movie because 
These are kinds of things that in other movies you might have heard me complain about. And then in this one, I'm like, that's hilarious. You know, figure. I, I, you know, we're in mid-June now when this is recording and when this is coming out. We're literally the halfway point from Christmas, from last Christmas and next Christmas. And I can't stress enough how important it is for like my mental health to enjoy fun Christmas movies. Even now with like the world opening up and all a lot of the 2020 stress isn't there, but there's still like some stress, but there is just a nice, you know, oxytocin rush that comes <laughs> from watching Christmas movies. Hearing the music, the themes, the feelings, all of that. It just when the snow starts to fall in this and Dan Aykroyd looks up and he's like, "Nice," you know. Yeah. There's something really satisfying and wonderful about a white Christmas that I really appreciated. And- and it's like a thousand degrees in Texas. And so there was something about like I closed all the blinds and the kids and I watched it on the couch and it was cold and dark. And we were watching these people like laughing and f- slip sliding and falling. And also and we were cracking up, man. I got to say Christmas movies all year long. There's something for this. All right. It's time almost to give our Jingle Bell ratings. But while you're thinking about what you want to rate it, I'm going to play you a clip from next week's movie. OK, I'm ready. <laughs> Hey, I invented the backdoor escape, okay? What's up? Well, since you showed up, Mom thinks I'm nuts, Rory Buck wants to kill me, and I'm pretty sure my dad's a snowman. So what's the problem? Hey, I know yesterday was a rough day. Things will get better. (gasps) Quit following me. I mean, think about it. You're a snowman. People are going to see you and cut you up in little ice cube trays. Fine. If that's the danger of hanging out with you, fine. I'll take the chance. Fine. 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 I oh, love a good father son fine fine back and forth. <laughs> uh, I I don't know this. I recognize old Beetlejuice's voice, but I don't actually know this movie. Oh, uh, you mean the greatest Batman that's ever been? Yep, that's the one I meant. We're watching 1998's Jack Frost, starring Michael Keaton and Kelly Preston. Michael Keaton famously gets turned into a snowman. I have never seen this movie, so I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, It is available for rent at all the places where you can rent it. It is not available to stream. You guys, if you go search Jack Frost on Amazon Prime, you're going to see there's a movie to stream called Jack Frost. That's the 1997 horror movie. Oh, don't watch that. Don't watch that. 1997's horror movie called Jack Frost. Watch 1998's Michael Keaton movie called Jack Frost. A little pro tip uh, Mike found while searching this out. (laughs) Good to know. Good to know. We don't want any mistakes made here. All right, Mike, I'm ready to go first for the Jingle Ball rating. I am going to give this one an eight. I give this one an eight because I feel like it hits all of the themes that we would like our Christmas movies to have. It has humor. It has the whole community working together together but it also layers in all the strife all the stress of depression and the pressure we put on ourselves and the peer pressure oh my god the peer pressure to keep up with the joneses and do what everyone else is doing exactly how they're doing it i think it had it all i I really appreciated the fact that I, I kept saying over and over, I could put this on when my in-laws come over and like this could be playing in the background and I wouldn't be embarrassed and, and there would be chuckles, you know, during different parts of it. And you can kind of come and go from it, which during the holiday time, I think is kind of important because you're probably doing other things while you're watching your Christmas movie. So this one is a great one when you're like putting up decorations or man, that day when the, the when the relatives come over and they're just sitting on the couch and you're like, let's just 
put on a Christmas movie. You're like just kind of picking at food on the buffet. This is a great movie to put on. Nobody is going to be upset at you. No one is going to say, I can't believe there was that scene. I can't believe they said that word. And yet you still get a good, heartwarming, hallmarky type story in the middle of all this with your America's Funniest Home Video moments. It's it's yay for everybody. I am also going to give this an eight. I agree with all of the points that you made. I found this to be an unexpectedly wonderful Christmas theme movie. I really, in my curmudgeon phase of life, identify with Luther having had enough. And, and just the idea of why we're going to put ourselves through this process and this money spent and it's not the same with our kid not being here. I, I really feel all of that. I identify with all of that. The feeling of the of neighborhood telling you how to celebrate and trying to push back against that but at the same time when your kid comes and says please make it a christmas for me then trying to pull out all the stops you know like the rules are different if it's the neighborhood trying to tell me how to celebrate is one thing if it's my kid that's another thing the the feeling the vibe the humor i love the good shot and fraud moments uh really made me laugh um so yeah i, I agree with you this is a, a movie i could sit down i could watch with tom i could watch by myself at christmas time I don't know if it's going to make my 25 movies to watch, you know, leading up to Christmas, but I did really enjoy it. I have to do some revisionist rankings, though, because I'm giving this an eight. Uh, I appreciate that. You know, I do have to mention, too, this was my very first time seeing it. So I had not been wrecked in any way of like having seen it before I was the age I am now. And maybe if I had seen it when this came out, which I would have been much younger, I would have had really no association with Luther and Nora. I wouldn't have understood their point of view nearly as well. But now with kids as old as I have, I get this. I understand it. And I understand the idea of, you know, what if you want to change it up? What about everyone around you deciding, no, you're not allowed to change tradition and ritual. And oh, that suddenly makes it not feel like such a happy tradition and a fun thing to do at Christmas. It makes it seem like an obligation. So I appreciated the moment of actually talking about that a little bit and then finding your own sense of like what it is, why you want to do this. And that's basically what Luther and Nora find at the end, their own reasons for wanting to celebrate Christmas the way they do. I 100% agree with all of that. And you you know, nothing makes me personal more than people telling me I have to do something. Oh, have you met me? Oh yes. my God, it's going to be on my tombstone. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to <laughs> do. So by giving Christmas the cranks an eight, I actually need to revisit White Christmas. Oh, okay. Well, that's going to be your private spreadsheet moment, Mike. I have a feeling. I had ranked White Christmas at eight and a quarter Jingle Bells, and I didn't really like that as a Christmas movie. I, I, I think it, it missed on a lot of marks, and I don't know why I ranked it so high then so i'm actually dropping that down to seven and three quarters jingle bells oh it's, god this is an active spreadsheet move it, it's an active spreadsheet it's it's been recorded <laughs> it's been saved it has dropped uh half wow. a, a half jingle bell i'm not willing to look at my spreadsheet till 52 weeks at 52 weeks you guys will hear my new order you're so so funny <laughs> <laughs> this is Caroline. And this is Mike. Thank you for listening to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you could leave us a five-star rating, that would be fantastic. So we don't have to climb up on your roof and try and fix a frosty to it and then fall off and maybe die. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. 
Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.